Um, the Torah mentions Avraham Avinu, and we are this, today we're talking about Avraham and Sarah. And the Torah mentions his ideas, the way he lived, his friends, his enemies, his family, and so on. But what was his greatness? Let's try and put a finger on his greatness. What makes him a central figure which is so unique to Judaism? Abraham? Yeah. Okay, that's the most common answer given that Avraham Avinu was the one who discovered monotheism. But we find that even before Avraham Avinu, Adam Rishon was a monotheist, Cain and Hevel were monotheists, Noah was a monotheist, Shem, who was still alive at the time of Abraham, was a monotheist. What was so great about Abraham? They were all monotheists. He Okay, so then we can talk about the ten trials of Abraham. He went through ten trials and ten tests. What what makes Abraham unique among the monotheists? That's that's the question we have to ask. His belief. His belief. What else? I mean, I don't think his belief was greater than Shem's belief. What was his? What was so unique about Abraham being his belief? That he transferred that into. Very transferred it into other people. Was it wasn't just I believe in God and that's it, right? Noah believed in God, Shem believed in God, but the whole world was destroyed because they didn't transmit it. See, as Abraham Vinu transmitted this knowledge in God, and in fact, the Rambam asked the question. Mitzvah number two, I think it is, or three, in the Rambam's work of Sefer Mitzvot, which counts the month of 613, is the mitzvah to love Hashem. So how do you love Hashem? So Ramos has an amazing idea. He says, who is the one who loves Hashem the most? That even Hashem called him my beloved. Who is the only person Hashem calls his beloved? Abraham Vinu. Why? So what made Abraham Vinu unique? And the answer is Abraham Vinu transmitted his knowledge to others. So he says, if you have a friend, and no one else likes that friend, and you really like that friend, what would you do? You try and get other people to like that friend. Ah, oh, he's a good person. He's very, you don't know him properly. You can. It's the same thing. Hashem was unknown by the people. People didn't like Hashem. Abraham Vinu loved Hashem. He wants everyone in the world to go around liking Hashem. That was the greatness of Abraham Vinu. And that's what made him unique. He wasn't the first monotheist. In fact, monotheism was much older than idolatry. We don't, we don't realize that. The first religion in the world was monotheism. Idolatry was an evolution, or rather devolution. Devolved. From monotheism it devolved. It degenerated into polytheism. And uh, Ramam... Huh? Really? Yeah. Isn't that nice? The world of pagan, the world of mess, and No. The word of paganism came after Adam. Adam was a monotheist. Adam... Chanoch, Metushelach, Noah, all monotheists. But in the seventh generation, so Noah was the tenth generation. In the seventh generation, says man made a big mistake. Rambam brings this down in his laws of Avodah Zarah. He has a whole section called Ilchot Avodah Kochavim, the service of the stars. And he brings that over here. This is very important. I mean, yeah, I'm making a syllabus for the school, for elementary school. This is going to be compulsory reading. The syllabus. Rambam? Yeah, of course. No, first grade. <laughs> Why not? Definitely second and third and fourth and fifth. Sure. This is compulsory reading for every Jew. I mean, how can a Jew go through life without knowing 
you know, where did Judaism come from? Where did, where did paganism come from? I mean, this is the big battle. We have to know where it came from. So Ramam says, in the time of Enosh, which is the seventh generation from, uh, from Adam, people made a big mistake. Enosh was among these people who made the mistake. And this was their mistake. They said, since God created the stars, and He created all the solar objects, just like a king requires honor to his ministers, these are God's ministers, the sun, the stars, the moon, planets are all God's ministers and just like a king wants his ministers to receive honor so also we have to give the honor to the king's ministers so that's the beginning that was the beginning of paganism they started giving honor to the ministers of God and eventually they started worshiping other things as the ministers of God for example in India they worship the cow holy cow why do they worship the cow because they saw the cow as being a manifestation of God why because the cow gives them milk so it provides for them the meat and the milk. So the cow is a holy object. We find the Jews in the desert worship the cow. Um, and that came from all this idea of giving glory to God. But eventually they forgot about Hashem. They gave glory to the ministers and then they forgot about Hashem. That's how it was more tangible. Pardon? It was more tangible. It's more tangible, but it didn't start because of tangibility. It started because of Derek Eretz. They started because of their occurrence, I mean the wrong reasons. They started for the right reasons. They started worshipping the stars for the right reasons. Honor to God's ministers. And then eventually they forgot about God and they just worshipped His ministers. Right? They still talk about, I mean the learned pagans talk about the Supreme Being. They talk about the Supreme Being. The unlearned the pagans, they don't forget about the Supreme Being. Okay, and then they built temples to their, their, these uh, ministers and they said it's the will of God to worship them. Because that's why God put them up there in the sky. Why did God put these things up there in the sky? For us to worship them. Those are the ministers of God. That's where astrology came from. These things control destiny. These images in the sky, which is very, very weird. I mean, how can these things control destiny? I mean, today we know they're just stars. I mean, they're not, there's nothing there. There's nothing to astrology? Zero. Bunk. Really? I thought there was something. There's a big debate actually. Between the Rambam and the Ramban. And it's the same debate about magic and black magic and voodoo. Rambam was a rationalist. Rambam says, Jews are not allowed to believe in these things. Torah says, Don't be superstitious. Don't have any time, set times for anything. Don't believe it. There's only Hashem. Rambam said. Rambam. Rationalist. Ramban, Nachmanadi says, these things do exist, but we as Jews should know that we are above them. Whereas there is astrology, but the Talmud says, En Mazal Israel. There is no luck, there is no astrology for Jews. Which means if the astrologer says, this guy, Jew is going to die on so and so date, we say, he's Jewish, it doesn't apply to him. <laughs> because our prayers can change our Mazal. That's what it means. What it means, a Mazal Israel means there is Mazal, but our prayers, we are, we are above the Mazal. We can be above the Mazal. Our prayers can change the Gezira. But the Ramam says, you know, Mazal's got nothing to do with the stars. Mazal is God decreed from a guy's birth. How long they're going to live? That's Mazal. Nothing to do with the stars. 
But we can change mazal by our prayers. Our prayers can change it. Which is an important idea. The idea that prayer can change mazal. That's very important. We pray for mazal tov, but a person doesn't have mazal tov. What does he do? We pray. He can change your mazal. So there's a very important idea. The idea that idolatry came from monotheism based on this idea that people wanted to give, they wanted to give show respect to God's ministers. And eventually this degenerated. And the people started saying, called Nevi'a Sheker. False prophets started saying, God commanded them to worship so-and-so star and bring him sacrifices and bring him offerings. And that's where idolatry came from. And until the time of Abraham, practically monotheism was dead. It's interesting, if you think about it, monotheism was viewed as old. The old religion. Paganism is the new religion. Right? The advanced people believe in paganism. Those old-timers, uh, you know, they're, they're backward. It's like in the 1950s. Religion is old. Science is in. Right? If you're religious, you're, you're in the backward. You're backward. Judaism is viewed as very backward. So, uh, it's amazing. I mean, that's exactly the time of Abraham. Abraham, Abraham's time, was the time of the Tower of Babel. Abraham lived at the time of the Tower of Babel. It was the time of advanced science. And paganism was the new religion. Paganism is much easier to relate to in a sense. Why? Because you know exactly who controls what. Right? So there's a God for each different thing. Instead of one God over everything, it's much more complicated. Um, in a sense, here you know which button to press. Right? This is the God of the sun. I'll worship that. I'll get some sunshine. This is the God of the rain. I'll worship that. I'll get rain. So this way I know exactly which button to press. Right? It makes them more in control. Whereas you're dealing with one God, He does everything. I mean, <laughs> All in one, I mean. So now, there's no buttons to press, you know. Now, Which button do I press? Obviously something, when they were worshipping something, they got something out of it. They were worshipping, you know, and they didn't get anything out of it. They Why? did. They got something out of it. The idea of control. Who was in control? They were in control. Number one, the priests tricked them, obviously. The priests were in it for business. They were doing it for business. They're making money out of it. Uh, they had control of the masses, and that's why usually the king set himself up as the highest guy. Right? Nimrod. He was the guy. He made himself into a guy. Uh, we find even amongst the Romans, Caesars or whatever, they made themselves into gods, pagan gods. So that was the advantage. The masses were just fools. I mean, they were blindly following. But they thought they were manipulating the gods. They could manipulate the gods. It's interesting, the Torah tells us you're not allowed to bring kol seor v'choldavash. Don't bring any se'or, which is leaven, or any honey to God. Why not? So the answer is people thought in those days they were bribing God with honey and with you know, leaven. Whatever tasted good to them, they would bring to God. If this tastes good to me, I'll bring it to God. This will, you know, this will uh, pacify God. So it was a convenient idea of manipulating God. You can manipulate God. You can bribe God. If a person did a sin, bring a sacrifice. The Torah says you're not allowed to bring sin offerings. For what? Sin offerings only apply for unintentional sin. For intentional sin, there's no offerings. You can't bribe that. Nothing you can do. You have to do teshuva. There's no way you can bribe teshuva. Whereas other religions, still today, I mean, uh, Christianity, you can pay the Pope and you get a papal bull. It's called a papal bull. You sign a document saying you're forgiven. <laughs> yeah. Like charity. Give him charity. Give him money. Kapara. It's like atonement. Yeah. 
Same thing, a person wanted a divorce. Only the king, only the pope could give a divorce. So, uh, depends how much you bribe them. You give money. Very simple. So that's, that's not the way Judaism works. Judaism works. You can't bribe that. There's no bribes to that. So, what happened? Abraham Avinu was raised in this society. And the Ramam says, now there's a big debate over here. At what age did Abraham reach God? So, for one opinion, the Midrash says three years old. The Ramam says 40 years old. There's two opinions over here, and the Ramam reconciles both opinions. The Ramam says when he was three, what happened? He started turning things over in his mind. He started thinking day and night. How did this world, how was this world formed? Today it's a branch of science called cosmology, right? So who was the first cosmologist? Abraham Vedic. Abraham Vedic was the first cosmologist. How, did, how was this world formed? How did this, how did this divine celestial object come into this place? It's impossible for things to happen by themselves, right? Here's Abraham Avinu telling us thousands of years ago, evolution is not possible. It's impossible for things to happen by themselves. And so for, from the age of three, he started wondering about where everything came from. And here he was raised in Ur Kastim, in the city of Ur, between the idolaters. Hatipshim. Mama calls them fools. And his father and his mother and all the people were serving idols. And he would serve with them. Obviously, he's raised as an idolater. But his heart was still searching until he discovered the true way. And he realized there is one God who does everything, who created everything. And there's nothing except for that one God. And this he understood from his own understanding. So it's interesting, it seems he was already broken away from Noah and Shem and all the others, the greats before him. So what does he do? He reinvents the wheel. He's reinventing monotheism. Abraham from his own mind. And he came to the conclusion there's only one God. Abraham was 40 years old when he recognized God. So he started at the age of three and he ended at the age of 40. But he was 40 when he recognized God? With the intellect. From the age of three he had a feeling there's a God. Emotionally, you know, tell a child there's a God. A child can understand emotionally a God. But not intellectually. It's interesting. Right? You tell a child there's a God. How do they understand God? They don't understand God. They don't comprehend. They feel it. Exactly. It's the emotion. They feel there's a God. He has to be a creator. And that's the lower level. The lower level is the age of three, he understood God emotionally. Age of 40, intellectually, he understood God. That's a big difference. So to be intellectual takes a lot of time. Um, Bina is at the age of 40. The person gets Bina. Where do we know this? Uh, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Arba'im Sha'are the Bina. There are 40 gates of wisdom, of understanding. So Rabbeinu is 40, that's what Rambam says. 40 is a magic number, really. Not magic, but it's uh, an age of wisdom. It's an age of understanding. Unfortunately, that's the, that's the age today we assign to midlife crisis. <laughs> it's the age where we get, should get smarter instead of which... Mid, midlife crisis, people go through a midlife crisis. Right. We just get smarter instead of... 
instead of being in crisis, they should be smarter, not being in crisis. Huh? Yeah, right, exactly. That's it. Well, today we're getting close. Today we're getting close. Right. At one time, 40 was considered a very good age. Um, so he's 40 years old, and he discovered intellectually understood God. And what does he do? So most people just say, you know what, I know it, that's it, I found the truth. Goodbye. Abraham Vinu was the first missionary, which made him a threat to the king and society. Once he knew God, what does he do? He started debating with people in Ur-Kazdim. And he started causing mischief. And he broke the idols. Obviously, that's a child's story. You know, his father took off, but he was in charge of all the idols. He started telling the people that it's not fit to serve them except to one God. And it's fit to destroy all these idols. And when he brought all his proofs, the king tried to kill him. Obviously, when he got very popular, and the king sees he's very successful, the king wants to kill him. The Midrash says, they put him to the fiery furnace and he was saved. We say this in the morning in our prayers. It's in the Tehilim, one of the Psalms. He took him out from, from Ur-Kazdim. And it's interesting, the Torah does not mention a word of this. The Torah explicitly does not mention a word. The Rambam over here is quoting pure Midrash. A lot of people think Rambam is anti-Midrash. The Rambam quotes Midrash. The Rambam says, anything which is rational in the Midrash, accept it. Anything which is not rational, it's got a deep meaning. Don't take it literally. It's a parable. So here you can take these things literally. The Midrash says, well, the Midrash said actually he came to God at the age of three. The Rambam changed it to 40. So he came to God emotionally at the age of three. Intellectually, he understood at the age of 40. So, the king tried to kill him, and he ran away from Haran. Now the Torah misses all this out. The Torah starts age of. When does the Torah tell us Abraham? It tells us about his birth, and then it tells us Parsha Lech Lecha starts at the age of 75. It doesn't tell us anything about the first 75 years of his life. <laughs> Skips it out, and it's really fascinating. So the Midrash fills it in. The Rambam quotes the Midrash. So he went on his first test at age 75. 75 Lech Rashi says 70. Rashi changes it. Rashi says, En Muktam Torah. Rashi changes it. Rashi says he was 70. The, the Torah says 75. Okay? Debate. So he was 70, but he was told Lech Lecha by the time he got to Israel, it was five years later. He was wandering with his sheep and his cattle and his people. It took a long time. And on the way, on the way to Canaan, he wasn't doing nothing. What was he doing? He was walking and calling out and gathering people from town to town. Every town he stopped at, he would call a big meeting. <laughs> this guy's amazing. In those days. And kingdom to kingdom, until he got to Canaan. And in Canaan it says, the Torah says, He called out there in the name of God, the God of the world. And each person who would ask him questions, he would talk to him until he would bring him back. Until thousands and ten thousands of people joined him. Wow, we don't have much record. The Torah just mentions this, by the way. It says, All the people they made in Haran. 
So Rashi says over there, Abraham converted the men, Sarah converted the females. It's amazing. So the power doesn't say there were tens of thousands, but obviously we know. Abraham Vinu, how do we know Abraham Vinu had thousands of warriors? That says 300 men. <laughs> because he beat the four kings. The four kings are the most powerful kings in the world at that time. The superpower of the world. Abraham Vinu beats them. He's the superpower of the world. Who's the superpower of the world? Where did he get this power from? So he got it from Hashem, but also he was very popular. All these people were following him. And um, he wrote books. I wish we had these books he wrote. We do have one book. What's it called? Raziel HaMalach Actually, Raziel HaMalach was given to Adam Rishon. That's a book from Adam Rishon. Sefer Yitzira was given to Abraham Avinu. Sefer Yitzira was given to Abraham Avinu. We have one book. That's about the only book we have. Sefer Yitzira was given to him? Yeah, it was revealed to him. Because you don't, you don't write these things. You have to get it from above. You don't get these things. That's the, the one from the Zohar. Right, it's, it's, not, it's not part of the Zohar. It's above the Zohar. It came before the Zohar. It came from Abraham Avinu. Sefer Yitzira. He wrote books. Can you imagine? And and he taught all this to Yitzhak his son. And Yitzhak, what was he doing all the time? Sitting down and teaching. That's it. But Yitzhak Yaakov, Yitzhak taught Yaakov, and he was the one who supported everyone who was around him. He taught all his sons. And he separated Levi and he put him on top of everyone. He made Levi the Rosh Hashiva. To keep the laws of Abraham. We find in Egypt the only tribe which really kept everything was Levi. Levi. And he commanded his sons that they will not end from the tribe of Levi leader after leader. And this continued for hundreds of years until they got in the Mitzrayim, at the end of the Galut Mitzrayim, they started forgetting. Right? Idolatry started coming back. So that's why we needed the Torah. So the obvious question is why do we need a Torah? Abraham Vinu could do without a Torah. Why can't we do without, without a Torah? And the answer is Abraham Vinu was a spiritual genius. It's like saying, you know. Einstein was a genius age of 18. What did I, you know, what did I think to go to college for? So the answer is not everyone can be an Einstein. No one's got a natural genius. Abraham Vinu is a natural spiritual genius. Not many people like that. We have to learn it. We need the Torah. We need guidance. We need a framework. Prior to that, there was no framework. Okay, so that's the greatness of Abraham Vinu. So what do you see the greatness of Abraham Vinu? Abraham Vinu was a discoverer of God. He wasn't the first one. He was a discoverer of God. He rejuvenated. He brought back the old worship of monotheism. And he spread the word to the rest of the world. First missionary. And he commanded to his children. He passed it down. It's not like Noah. Noah knew it, but he couldn't pass it down. Only one son came out good. Shem came out good. Whereas Abraham Vinu was unique. Well, actually, 50% success rate. Well, Ishmael also had a bit of success because the children of Ishmael are also monotheists today. Islam. Okay. So that is the, that's what the Rambam says about Abraham Vinu. And uh, he called for return to one belief in one God. There was, Shem was around at that time. The next thing we know about Abraham is the ten trials of Abraham Vinu, which culminates on Rosh Hashanah with the trial of 
The Akedah of Yitzchak, the binding of Yitzchak. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, chapter 5. Mishnah 4 says, Asalan is Yonot and Asa Avraham Vinu. Ten trials Avraham Vinu was tried. Ve'amad Bekulam. It doesn't say he passed the test. It says he survived the test. There's a big difference between passing the test and surviving the test. Survived the test. Get a guy who's very sick. And he has questions of faith and this and that. Like Yob, Job. Right? Job, did he pass the test? Debatable. Did he survive? He's fine. It's a big thing just to survive. Just to survive the Holocaust and survive the test. Surviving alive is surviving. How about we survive the test? Does survive keeping your faith intact? Yes, keeping faith intact. He may not have done the right things, but he kept his faith intact. If you look at the Ramban, Ramban criticizes Avraham tremendously. Uh, for leaving, you know, Hashem says, go to, go to Israel, there was a famine, he leaves to go to Egypt. Who told him to go to Egypt? Who told him to say his wife is his sister? It's all a lie. So Ramban, so Ramban explains that Ahmad Bikulam means he stood with them. And we refer to Abraham Avinu as our father, just like we refer to Sarah as our mother. I you know, I tell our kids, you know, who's our father? <laughs> Daddy is at home. Daddy's here. And now Abraham Avinu, huh? <laughs> How's he related to me? No, he's our father. He lived many years ago, but he's still our father. The father is the first teacher who a person normally admires and seeks to emulate. The way of the parents being, the way of the parents' way of dealing with the things in the world, with understanding life. So that's the father image. Who is our father? Aramvin is meant to be our father image. So even though I have a father, Aramvin is meant to be my father. It's meant to be the image which I have to follow. And that's why it's important for children to have heroes. Not the baseball players they stick on their walls. Not the rock musicians and not the actors, whatever. Real heroes. They should have heroes. They, they look at the Torah and they find a hero. David Amelah, Shlomo Amelah, whatever the some hero, Moshe. You know, I think that um, it's very hard to, to make these, these heroes come alive. And so like the actors and the baseball players, they're, they're physical, they're in front of them, so they're able to... So, I mean, if, you know... You have to make them come alive. I have to make them come alive. Right. By telling the stories, by... Parents, jobs... 100%. These, these characters 100%. 100%. 100%. They have to be alive. Things to do in this day and age. I'll tell you one of my favorite stories. It's a great story. This is uh, Rav Salavechik. When he was growing up. Uh, Yosef Dov. When he was growing up in his house, his father would give a shear. And all the students would come at night. And uh, the shear was mainly on the Rambam. So he was a little kid, he was sitting over there, like Rambam. He's living Rambam. Basically, he was living Rambam. His hero is the Rambam. One day, one of the students had a very fast question on the Rambam. And his father didn't know how to answer the question. Since that night, that boy could not sleep. So why can't he see his mommy? He says, The mommy says, Rambam. He's stuck. How's he going to answer the question? He says, Don't worry, your father will find an answer. <laughs> but it just shows he internalized it. Rambam was like a living person. That's how we have to think. And that's what the Torah tells us. The Torah tells us, the Talmud says, it says, when you quote someone, it's as if their lips are moving in the, in the grave. And he says, Rashi is alive today. Moshe Rabbeinu is alive today. We quote them, they're alive. And basically, we're living, they're living through us. They're living through us. So we have to talk about our fathers and our mothers. Who are they? Abraham, Sarah, mother, father. These are role models. And uh, where do we see this? The greatest... It's, you know, we talk about the binding of Yitzhak. Akedat Yitzhak. They went together, it says. 
The Torah says, it says they went together. Both of them together, it says twice. They went together, which means there's no break between them. Father and son were like one. And then Parashat Toldot says, These are the generations of Yitzhak, the son of Abraham. Abraham, Holid Yitzhak. It's emphasizing. Yitzhak, Abraham, Abraham, Yitzhak is a total connection over there. Yitzhak resembled Abraham. And it's more than physical resemblance. The Zohar says, now that Abraham Avinu was dead, his image remained in Yitzhak. Whoever saw Yitzhak said, this is Abraham. Same character. He was a continuation of his father. Now this is a very important idea. The idea that if the father has no inner conflict, the son is going to follow. The father is in a conflict, the son's confused. Okay. Well, there's two sons, one son does this, one son does that. It's a conflict based on the father or the mother. So the girl's conflicted inside, it's because the mother's conflicted inside. That's why it's very important that we shouldn't, we should try not to be conflicted, try and resolve the issues ourselves. Otherwise, the children have the same conflict later on. So, what happened with Ishmael? Obviously, there was a conflict. The mother of Ishmael was Hagar. On the one hand, seeing Abraham, the other hand, seeing his mother. There's got to be a joint effort. We see the same thing with Yosef. Yosef sees his father, the image of his father, such a clear image. So that's the avod, that's the, so that's the importance of avod. There's a beautiful midrash, this great midrash. The midrash says like this. The midrash says, when Hashem appeared to Moshe in the burning bush, it was Moshe Rabbeinu's first prophecy. Right? His first prophecy ever. What is the danger of the first prophecy? The danger is, if it's too strong, you're going to scare the guy away. If it's too weak, eh, what is it? It's nothing. You're not going to excite the person. You've got to find the balance. So Midrash says, Hashem says, if I manifest myself to him with a great voice, I will terrify him. If I manifest myself to him with a weak voice, he will scorn prophecy. What did he do? He revealed himself with the voice of Moshe's father, Amram. So Moshe revealed his father, Amram. He knew about Amram because of Yocheved, was his mother who milked him and gave him milk, weaned him. So he heard his father's voice. That was his prophecy. He says, Dad, what do you want, Dad? <laughs> I didn't know you were here. He said, I'm not God. I'm the God of your father. I'm not your father. I'm the God of your father. That's how he heard. That's how Hashem revealed Himself. You find the same thing with Shmuel, right? I told the story in class yesterday, last week. Go and ask, uh, ask the kids. I told the story in class last week. Last week. Hannah? Hannah and Shmuel, right. So, uh, Shmuel hears a voice. He's sleeping in the Bet Midash, in the Mishkan, with Eli. He hears a voice. Shmuel, Shmuel. He runs to Eli. You call me? Obviously Hashem was speaking in the voice of Eli. Hashem didn't want to scare him. He spoke in the voice of Eli. So Nevoah comes through one's parent's voice. Right? Because he's a parent in a dream, Hashem talking to him. That's the first step, first stage. But it means Ruach HaKodesh comes from the parents. We emulate our parents. The influence permeates us. And we study the lives of our forefathers, trying to understand their trials and their achievements so that we can emulate them better. And perhaps the best known trial was the binding of Yitzhak. Now, the question we have, which is a major philosophical question, 
Why did Hashem need to try Abraham Avinu? Ten times. Hashem knew. Hashem knows the future. So why does Hashem need to try anyone? Hashem knows the future. So there's a couple of reasons. Let's go through the reasons. So the Midrash says like this. In the name of Rabbi Yonatan. Rabbi Yonatan says, he compares it to a potter who is making pottery. Right? Clay, pots. He says the potter wants to test whether the pot is strong enough. Just like quality control. What does he do? He taps the pot. Knocks it. Is it strong? He doesn't tap the weak pots because he knows they're not strong. He taps the strong pots. And therefore he says, Hashem tests the righteous, but not the wicked. The righteous are, test, are tested to see whether they're going to survive or not. So that's the first answer the Midrash gives is, why the tests? Quality control. Quality control. So the question is, why does Hashem need quality control? Hashem knows exactly. He's not like a potter. A human potter doesn't know if this pot is strong or not strong. But Hashem knows the person's strong. But maybe it's not for Hashem. Okay, good. We'll come to the second answer. In his commentary in the Torah, Ramban says that a person has complete freedom of choice. And um, if he wants to act, he can act. If he doesn't want to act, doesn't act. And that's the test. The test is, what's he going to do with his freedom of choice? And the freedom of choice is not because Hashem wants to know what he's going to do, because Hashem already knows what he's going to do. The freedom of choice is for the person to understand himself, his own potential. So it's, as you said, it's for us. The test is for us. To understand my own potential. I didn't know I could do this. But now I know I can do it. Same thing, we, we test a kid in school. Why do we test a kid in school? It's not to punish him. It's to bring out the information which he has inside. Make sure he studies, make sure he knows the information. That's what Ramban says. To bring out the potential within. So that the person may be rewarded for good deeds rather than only good intentions. So good intentions are a low level. Good deeds are a high level. Bring out the good deeds. That's the second answer. Third answer, Rambam. That was Rambam. This is Rambam. Rambam says, it's a beautiful idea because he uses the word for, for test in Hebrew, which is Nisayon. That's what the Mishnah says. Nisayed Abraham. Hashem says in the Torah. But Hashem Nisayed Abraham. And God tested Abraham. What's a Nisa? What's Nisa? What's the root of the word Nisa? Huh? Ness. Ness. What is Ness? Miracle, or what else? The Sanes, the Kabetz Kuriyotene, we say in our prayers every day. The Sanes, Kabetz Nitchayam Yisrael, we talk about the Sanes, the Kabetz Nitchayam, what is the Sanes? Raise a banner or a flag, flag. Hashem decided Abraham, Hashem raised the flag of Abraham. What do you raise the flag of Abraham? He's teaching us, through Abraham's life, how we should also pass these tests. Right? The purpose of the test was, not for Abraham, for us. If he never passed his test, how will we know how to pass our test? He's like a role model for us. The tests of Abraham and Yov are recorded in the Torah so that mankind should know how far a person should be prepared to go. How do we know how far to go? Read the story of Abraham and see how far to go. Read the story of Yov, of Job, and see how far to go. So that's the reason. So Ness, Ness it's a beautiful idea, right? Nesayon comes from the word Ness, which means a flag. Hashem tested them to raise a flag, a banner, for everyone else. To see, to 
to see what? To see how far we should go when we're tested. How far we have to pass as well. We have to try and be like him. Or maybe you know, what potential we have to pass it. Right. I don't think God, I mean, he was on a different level. He was on a different level, but we have to try and emulate him. He's our forefathers. We try and emulate him. I yes. want to add something. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's so beautiful. Go ahead. My friend told me she went through a very difficult mistake and she read somewhere, right in the Tefillah, we say, Hashem Gozer Umekayem. What does that mean, Gozer Umekayem? Does a Gzera on you? So uh, literally, you hear it, Mekayem means he's going to make the Gzera go through. But there's a Rav, I don't remember his name, that gave this beautiful insight. He said, Mekayem means that Hashem makes you go through it. Mekayem, from the word to... Lasting, lasting. Last. You last it. You last even after the Making test. sure that you're going to be able to go through the Gzera that, that he put on you. Good. Like the Gzera, Gzera also has a root to the word Ligzor, which is to cut. Gzeri Yamsuf, Ligzarim, says. He cut the sea into pieces. So that could be the answer. So no. Gezerah is... This is not also like the Right, exactly. Same idea. Same idea. He gives you what you can handle. He gives you a test you can handle. You'll be, you'll be alive. You'll go for it and you'll keep... You'll, be, you'll stay alive. It's beautiful. Okay. So it's a banner. So the Rambam, it's interesting, the Mishnah does not, sorry, the Mishnah does not list, the Mishnah does not list the ten tests of Abraham, the Rambam lists the ten tests of Abraham. And I don't want to go through them all, but in all the incidents, the Rambam seems to suggest was enough to make Abraham, each one of these tests was enough to make Abraham rebel against God. Yeah. Here's a new God, it's a new kind of God. No one else knew about God. He discovers God, and all the, all of a sudden he gets all these tests. That's why. Like a person becomes a Baal Teshuva, he became a Baal Teshuva, and all of a sudden he gets test after test after test. Right. You know, happened, I've seen this so many times. Right. I've seen this so many times, it's right. a disaster. It's, 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 what is this? What's going on? It's a test. You see over here, Abraham is the first Baal Teshuva. You have to look at those people as being real special. Scary, I'll tell you. They're Not only they're special, but a lot of them fail. Let me tell you one story. Let me tell you one story. It's an amazing story. It's a, normally what happens is a person becomes religious and then boom, they get a test. And some of them just fail. They can't take it anymore. Let me give you one story. It happened to me. I was uh, trying to bring a family close. Yeah, they started coming. They started coming. Children started coming. One day, they dropped out. What happened? So I find out they converted the oil heat to gas heat, right? Small thing. And they took out the tank, oil tank. They didn't take out the pipe. And the oil company, by mistake, filled their tank, which oh they had a tank. The oil seeped underground under their house. Oh my God. So that's dangerous. So they had to move out of the house for three, four months. And I don't know where they went. They were wandering around for three, four months. The house was being, whatever, excavated. <laughs> that was the last time I said it. So obviously that was a test. They say, "Yo, they're getting religious." Boom! And I've seen it so many times. A person wants to take a test. Boom! In fact, that's the reason why we go to Tashlich. Why do we go to Tashlich? What's Tashlich in the river? 
Why you got the river for? To destroy your sins. But the Midrash says, beautiful idea. Midrash says, to remember the test of Abraham. The Midrash says, when Abraham was walking to Haramoria, the Satan came like a river in front of him. And he walked right through the river. Don't think Abraham Avinu's tests, he's a 10. But among the 10, there were many tests. Every time he, did, he had to go, keep going through. His faith had to be so strong, just keep going through. But that, so, so you know, I understand all religions and all that. You see also people that are not religious, they're very successful, very happy, they have what they want. I'm sure I like in a certain limit. <clears throat> That's also a test. For us, it's a test. For us, we see it and we say, "Hey, how come they're getting away with it?" No, and if they're not religious, so that's a test for us. If all the religious was were rich, happy, and healthy, mm -hmm. and all the non-religious were no test, poor be no, and you know, no free will. Where, where's the the where's you know? It's too obvious to be religious. There's no yeah. free choice. All the free choice would go. But it happens also the opposite. You, know? you can be miserable when you're not religious, and then as soon as you become religious, everything just, yeah. opens up. No, no, we see all <laughs> that. Yeah, right. cool. You have so to see both sides. You see it everywhere. It's not that it's just in the religious. But the tests, I mean, so, so many times, the tests come, boom, as soon as the guy, he wants to be a little bit but religious. I feel like it's tests, like Hashem gives us tests that we can pass. Hopefully. Even though at that time it seems like it's it an insurmountable mountain. You he know? could, anyone can pass. The question is, is he going to pass or not? Fast. If you want to pass, you have to want to pass really bad. My mother said something very beautiful. You know, she she has, I don't know, I, I always keep it in mind. She said, when something happens to you, when you're about to when you become religious, Hashem made you become religious before this happens, so you can handle it. That's nice. If you handle, if you are not religious, yeah. it's much harder. So that's an inspiring really thought. Yeah. Let me give you one test. It's one test. <laughs> this test of Abraham. Hashem tells Abraham, see the land of Canaan, it's all yours. I'm going to give it to you and your generations. In fact, we're still going through this test. Hashem gave it to us. No? Where is it? Why is everybody... Why are we fighting? Why are 21,000? How many? 28,000 people had to die since the state was declared. 28,000 people in the army. So Hashem gave it to us. Where is it? That's the test. Hashem gave Abraham the land. He wants to bury his wife. Can't find him. He has to go to the Chidim and say, can you sell me a bit of, for a phenomenal amount of money? Hashem gave him the land. So what's his test? His test is, are you still going to believe in me after this or not? That's the test. Yeah, I also heard another interesting, I'm sorry, just an interesting test that um, when, when Israel became a state, at the same time, the Arab became a threat. They weren't a threat before the state. They were, they were. They weren't they were not as, as much, I mean, this is what I've heard, but they weren't They were pogroms. What? They were pogroms. 1929, they were pogroms. Yeah, they killed the, the Hebron. Was they weren't as strong of a threat. When the they didn't care that much. I mean, all the Arab nations didn't unite until Israel became a state. Right. They didn't unite. So God gave that as a test. He couldn't just give us Israel without a threat there. Right, it's not easy, not easy. Well, you can say differently. You, you know, like we can look at it from a different perspective. Say, now Israel is a state, you have the power to fight. You didn't have it before. That's why Hashem was holding them back. You know what I mean? You it's can, look at, it. you can look at it differently. But now, do you believe, do you believe not, I'm sure you believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but more you learn, more you know, I think sometimes I'm a half for me, half for me, I'm not like, or to pass the test or to be right, or to make the right thing, you know? Like, so, 
Because every day we are tested. So how can we do bad? How can we do? What can we do to make better to pass this test in a better way? Halakha is a framework. Basically, it gives us a framework how to deal with life. Without the framework, we're lost. We said Abraham being could deal with things without a framework. The Torah had to be given. Why was the Torah given? Why was halakha given? Halakha was given because without a framework, he would just run away. So this is the base. We need a framework. Halakha, we've taken a bit of a class. I don't know how long. I don't know. People don't teach halakha. I do. The more you learn, the more you realize how little you don't know. But you can learn halakha. You know how to do that. And all the kids who Alright, let's continue. Let's continue the ninth the ninth test of Abraham. What's the ninth test of Abraham? The ninth, the ninth? Number nine. Oh. Ishmael was born. He became an expert with the bow. The Midrash says he became an expert in the bow in his early years. Even when he was living with Abraham, he was an expert in archery. He would take his bow and arrows and shoot at flying birds. Once he saw Yitzhak sitting alone, he tried to kill him with a bow. Said Salat to Abraham, write Hagar a divorce and send this slave girl and her son away from me and my child. The Gemara says this was the hardest test of all. More than binding of Yitzhak, this is the hardest test. But Yerah Hadavah Me'od Bene Abraham. In fact, this is the first reading on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. It was very bad in the eyes of Abraham. Sarah wanted. Sarah told him to send them. Yeah. Send them both away. It probably have been easier if God told them. Well, God had to say, whatever Sarah says, listen to her. <laughs> he had to reinforce that. He wasn't going to do it. He wasn't going to do it. And in fact, over here we see, talking about Sarah, Sarah was one of the unique mothers. Why? She was a 100% partner. He made religious partner. It was a partnership. Total partnership. It was unique that she had a role. Now, why was she a partner? The others weren't her partners. In fact, we find also Rivka was also, I mean, Rivka was manipulative. We're going to talk about it soon. Um, so, Sarah had a role, why was her role so great? Maybe it was because she was his niece as well. It wasn't like she was a strange woman who just married. But it was like they were in the family. They were partners. And he called her a sister. It was such a close relationship. It was like a brother-sister relationship. You know, sometimes it says in marriage where there's too much love, you can have a hard, hard time having children. <laughs> That's why. In marriage where there's too much love, it, sometimes you can have a hard time having children. Why? Because you all love your children? I don't know what it is. We find out some great people love each other. They love each other so much. Hmm. They can't bring the share the love. I don't know. I haven't got to the bottom of it. <laughs> like Let me know when you get to it. Yeah, too much like brother sister. It's a brother sister love, not a. It's not a. That's right. It's not a desirous kind of relationship. It's more, you know, we're compatible. We love each other. That's the danger sometimes of getting into a relationship where it's too like a brother and sister. You can't have a brother and sister relationship. But that's what Abraham and Sarah are, brother and sister, really. He says, it's my sister. It's my sister. That's why they were infertile and so on? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying to bring out a point that sometimes it's not good to be too much brother. Would it be a lack of, of trying or would it be 
it just it doesn't work. No, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I agree. Like, like, share the love with someone else. I just want to go back to God's don't want. What? I just go back to God's don't want. And if he wants, he may change also there. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's easier also all the time to say God's don't want. Because God's can change. But where did, why does it know him? Our hands we can pray. And that's what happened. Abraham prayed for, not for himself, he prayed for Avimelech. And he got answered first. So you pray for someone else and you need it. Yeah, yeah, I, we talked about that. But, but only if it's an enemy. Enemy? You can pray for the enemy? Avimelech took away his wife. You can think about it. Avimelech was his enemy. Avimelech took away his wife. He prayed for his enemy to have a child. That's what got answered first. That's the only reason I get answered first. Big Zichut, that's a big merit. Harim was a very high level. Well, as an enemy, he made friends later on. But still, I mean, he can bear him a grudge. No. By the way, this week's parasha is the mitzvah not to bear a grudge. <laughs> you don't have enemies when huh? you're such a high level. There's no enemies. You do, sure you do. No. You have more enemies. When you're on a higher level, you have more enemies. Why? They're not anti-you. They're anti-God even. And you're the vehicle. Why do people hate Jews? They're the vehicle. They hate God and they can't get but to God. But how can you think of someone as being your enemy if you're on such a high level? You know what I mean? That's why I'm thinking it wasn't no, hard. Because there is, no, there is evil in the world. There is evil in the world. So the king there's evil in the world. greater than There's an evil in the world. There's evil in the world. You know? And you look at them, you're like, they're so good, they're so holy, they're so pure. But every second, the Yetzirah is always... Okay, let's go back to the topic. Well, the, the physical enemies are manifestations of spiritual evil. I have to realize that. The physical enemies, the Nazis, spiritual evil. They're the, they're the tools of the spiritual evil. Definitely. So now, uh, the Midrash says, Ishmael, just like Esau, was mistreated as a child. What do you mean mistreated? The opposite of abuse. Abraham Avinu indulged. That's mistreated. We think, you know what? Abuses, beat the kid, and punish him, and that's, that's kind of abuse. The other kind of abuse is indulging the kid. Indulging the kid is also abuse. Because Ishmael became depraved. Esau became depraved because their parents did not tell them anything. The Talmud says, Avshalom, the son of David. David never rebuked him once. He became a Ben Sorer Morir, became a rebellious child. What did Ishmael do? It says, at 15 years old, he brought home an idol from the marketplace to play with it and worship it, as he had seen around others do. Once Sarah saw this, she ordered Abraham, throw him out. I don't need Yitzchak to learn from him. Ishmael had grown rotten and left under the same roof as Yitzhak, he would exert a corrupting influence. Still, Abraham was the embodiment of loving kindness. How could he do this to his own son? It was an agonizing experience for him. He had to be cruel to a son that he loved. It was a bitter lesson. Yeah, right? So a lesson sometimes, you know, we don't want to punish the kid. We don't want to punish the kid. But kind like Abraham. We have to read what Abraham Avinu did. That's a lesson to us. Sometimes you've got to punish the kid. Start early. Exactly. Don't start early. Don't wait till he's 15 when you have to throw him out the house. Do it early. Do it early when he's it's less painful when they're young. He's two years old, three years old, four years old. Once they're 10, you failed already. That's it's over. Boss. You can make your child into your own boss. Unfortunately, it's a tragedy. Now, we all know this because of Michelet. At times, sternness and punishment are needed. Used reasonably and consistently. Fair discipline is the greatest kindness to a child. Fair discipline. It's got to be fair and it's got to be disciplined. Boundaries and guidelines which become embedded in the character. 
without guidance, correction, discipline, a child is going to be a wild animal. That's what it says about Ishmael. We say, Pere Adam, a wild man. Now in Hebrew, the adjective always comes before the word. Yeled Tov, right? So it should be Adam Pere. Why is it Pere Adam? So I heard a beautiful idea. Pere is the noun. He was a Pere who happened to be a man. He was a wild who happened to be in the image of a man. Okay, why? Why? No guidance, no correction, no discipline. Pere Adam. So, but that means he was born like this. No. He was a child of when Abraham Avinu was how old? 90 years old. First child. What are you going to do with your first child after 90 years old? Indulge him. Give him the best money can buy. No guidance, no correction. You see that a lot. Sure. Especially people who couldn't have children for so many years, and then boom, they have a child. They get everything they wanted. No, but by the way. Don't indulge him, right? <laughs> complaining. He's already complaining. <laughs> uh, wasn't me. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but we, you also, I mean, hopefully you'll be able to instill this in the school that it has to be a partnership with the school. 100%. No, the school's trying, don't worry. The school believes in discipline. But it's hard, you know, when the kid doesn't have discipline at home, but he comes to school with no, no, no idea what discipline is. They can't understand it. It's like they're on a different planet. They go home, no different. They come here, this doesn't happen. They don't know how to react. A father who has nothing more of value to say to his children is not a father. A parent who has nothing of value to say to his child is not a parent. Where do we know this? At the end of Bereshit, the Torah says, Yaakov stopped commanding his children. He gathered his legs on the bed. He was gathered to his fathers. What's the connection? He stopped commanding them and he died. He had nothing more to add. That's the end. That's the end of the parent's role. Now there's a very good book I want to recommend. It's called Biblical Images. It's by Rabbi Steinzeltz. I think Steinzeltz. Steinzeltz Talmud. And he goes through all the different personalities of the Torah. So from homework. But Sarah was unique. As we said before, Sarah was unique. Yeah. Any question? Uh, it's interesting, Sarai, that was her name before, her name was changed to Sarah, his name was changed to Abraham, so it's a beautiful idea. She gave him a hay of her name. A yud changed it to two hays. So the yud became, that's when she got pregnant. When she gave from her name to him, so that's another reason. When it's giving, she wants to give him, if she just wants to take, she split the yud into two parts. Oh, into two, two hays. Oh, okay. So one hay went to him, one hay was left with her. That's one opinion. Okay. Oh, like five and five? Okay. From hey, the yud. Yud became two oh, hays. It's very nice. She shared a hay. When she shared a hay with him, then she got married. Okay, so Sarah was a great personality in her own right. And the Talmud says she was a greater Navi than Abraham. She was a bigger prophetess. She had more insight than Abraham. Where did Sarah come from? Huh? Yeah, it's true. Where did she come from, Sarah? Sarah was his niece, the daughter of Haran. Haran was his brother. Haran, it says, died in Ur-Kastim. When Abraham was tested by the king, he asked Haran, what do you believe? Haran says, if Abraham Avinu survives, I'll say I believe in his God. He doesn't survive, I'll say I don't believe in his God. Abraham Avinu survived, he said I believe in his God, he died. Haran died. So Abraham Avinu adopted his two children, Sarah and Lot. Oh, right. Lot right, was Sarah's right, brother. Right, right. 
So she only had one sibling. One sibling. And Abraham adopted him. That was the kindness right. of Abraham. Right. Right. He married her. He right. took in his brother-in-law. Right. Lot was going to be Abraham's main child. He was going to be, he was going to be take over. Unfortunately, Lot decided to move away. But Sarah was great in her own. She could influence the women. She did, she was the one who. How do you change people? Invite them over to your house. My wife hates it. I can't invite anyone to my house. Yeah. Not talking about my wife. I'm just saying, in general. Abraham Vino's wife was his partner. She encouraged it. In the middle of the day, he'd say, Sarah, make some cake. Got some guests. No problem. She makes cake straight away. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> you, I mean, oh, everyone wants to make us all cake. Name is Abraham, all right. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. Your name? My daughter is Sarah, so it's okay. <laughs> okay. So she was amazing. So, okay. Baruch Adonai, Thank you. Um, Rabbi, I just have a question. Do you have 